Hey, so my name is Mark, and I'm one of the folks on the teaching team. It's been a long, long minute since I've had the opportunity to stand up here, and I am I'm thrilled. So if you are here for the first time, the, the sermons are brought to you by all sorts of different people. We don't believe that there's one uh, holy bow-to-the-feet preacher that we all listen to week after week. Amen, Pastor Dan? Um, but we, we believe that the, that the seats are filled with all sorts of wisdom, and so when the idea came up about sharing the stage uh, with, with lots and lots of people, uh, Justin, Lauren, Josh, myself, DJ, um, it, we were just like, yes, let's, let's do this. So uh, a little bit of a disclaimer, I am at the tail end of a cough, cold, so when I get excited and I breathe in real deep, I'm going to want to cough, and so just hang with me for just a second, and I should be okay. Recently, I have been engaged in some discussions about what, who, who is the very first person that could potentially meet me when I step out of this tent, step out of this body, and, and go to heaven? So I have a very dear friend who just passed away, and we were talking about this idea. Well, who's going to be the first one to greet her when she, when she goes to heaven? And there is a man who I will be looking for. If you guys could throw his picture up here. This is my grandfather. He is my mom's mom, uh, dad. He is my mom's dad, Richard Leslie Williams. And he died about three months before I was born. So I never had a chance to meet him. He was a pastor. He's from Australia. My mom was born in Australia, and an opportunity came up for him to be able to move to the States, and so he did. He had a church in Mason City, Iowa, and then he had a church in El Paso, Texas, which is where I was born. So my mom was a PK, my dad was in the army, he thought the best place to go find chicks was not to go to a bar, but to go to a church. So he ended up there and met my mom and they ended up getting married and she was pregnant with me and he died of colon cancer a couple months before I was born. Uh, you know, everybody after they died, they become bigger than life, don't they? They just become these characters and these amazing people and and from what I've been told, he is, he is one of those people. The reason why I tell you this is because I never got to hear, his na- hear him call my name. I never, I never heard that. And, and it's something that I kind of covet. I kind of I want to hear that. Well, recently I came across two CDs of some of his sermons. One was a <clears throat> Palm Sunday sermon, another one was a was an Easter sermon, and one of them, he preaches out of the book of Mark. (laughs) So I got to hear. Got to hear him call my name, which is pretty cool. So I'm getting ready for this sermon series. So we're going to be going through the book of Mark for the next, I don't know, however many weeks. We're doing two chapters a week. And uh, you probably got a text saying, read chapters one and two. And I hope that you all took the opportunity to do that, because I'm only going to get through the first 11 verses, and there's, there's two chapters there for you to get a, 
to, to get your minds around. Anyway, I have a bunch of my grandfather's books. And uh, so R.L. Williams, 4424, North Kansas Street, El Paso, Texas. This is his Mark commentary. Checking real quick the copyright date, 1954. Pretty cool. So we're going through this book, and it is uh, very, very, very cool. For you who have never really explored it, it's probably the most ignored of the four Gospels. So here's, here's kind of what I'd, I'd like to do this morning. Think in your mind right now of which of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is your favorite. So right now in your mind, go ahead and decide which one that is. And we're going to do a little survey. So don't wait to see what your neighbor does on this. Go ahead and lift up your hand if Matthew is your favorite Gospel. So we have, okay, about that many people. All right, great. All right, how about Mark? How many people... Mark, we have two, two. Okay, my point is being made. How about Luke? How many people have Luke as their favorite? This is my favorite if you want to join me. Okay, all right, Luke, all right, and we probably know what's coming next. How about John? How many people, yes, John is their favorite. So yes, so Luke is my favorite. So Mark is probably the ignored gospel because it's the short one. It's kind of hard to understand. It's fast-paced. It's quick. And so we're going to go through this, this discussion here about this book because it is, it is quite different than the others. So what I want you to do is, in your mind for a minute, imagine yourself living in the city of Rome uh, 50 years after Jesus came onto the planet. And the book of Mark, which this, this is it right here, okay? This is it. This is all the pages there are. Imagine that you hear about this Jesus character, this Jesus amazing man, and somebody put a story together about him. So as the story goes... The name Mark does not show up anywhere in the book. It's nowhere to be found. In fact, when you read it, you don't even know who wrote the book. It wasn't until about 100 or so that a couple of really, really smart dudes decided that they would go ahead and make, make mention that this Mark was the one that wrote this book. And so that's where... The, the title Kata Markan comes from, according to Mark, on this book. So who is this Mark? Mark is John Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas. He was with Paul when, when Barnabas and Paul went on their first missionary journey. And for some, some unknown reason, we don't know why, but there was a bit of an argument and, and John Mark left, didn't go traveling on with them. So it was written, like I said, about like the mid-50s, maybe early 60s. The very first gospel written, I believe, and that seems to be what reasonable uh, academics believe, is Mark was the first one uh, written. Um, and one of the arguments on that is Matthew and Luke are really long, and stories tend to get bigger as they are told more. True? So 
Mark doesn't mess around with genealogies. He doesn't mess around with moms and dads. He doesn't mess around with angels visiting people, people going mute, and all those kinds of things. Instead, Mark just dives right into the story. So what we're trying to get you to get your mind around is imagine that you are living in Rome and maybe this is the only bit of Bible you would have. Or maybe maybe a scroll. <laughs> These were expensive to make. So 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 well this one wasn't, but but the the idea goes that Peter dictated all of these stories about Jesus to Mark, and Mark wrote them down, which is really, really interesting because there's no embarrassing stories about Peter in the book of Mark. They're, they're, only, in, they're only in Matthew and Luke. So try and get your mind around this, that, that it, it's, it's so easy for us to just say, well, that, you know, Jesus, blah, 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 or God, blah, blah, you know, based on all that we have. But, but imagine that you're just a, you know, just a, a slave to a doctor and, and you find out about Jesus and, and so you go to the house that might have the one written copy about Jesus that there is and you get to go hear about him. And then as time went on, you know, somebody paid somebody to take the time to write another one and then, then there were two and then there were three and four and then pretty soon there were bunches as time went on. But see, see if you can just think about Jesus from just these 14 pages. See if you can maybe break away from some of the ideas that you, that you have about him. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. <coughs> prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the, baptizing in the desert, desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of, a camel's, made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And, with, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down. And untie. I will baptize with you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, 
I am well pleased. It's interesting that the book of Mark opens with a tearing and a proclamation, you are my son, you are the son of God. Because the book ends with a centurion standing at the foot of the cross as the veil is torn from top to bottom. And he says, surely this was the son of God. So Mark writes this book in the mid-50s when Rome was a mess. If you were a Christian, the opportunity for you to be persecuted, potentially killed, suffer for your faith was huge. There were all sorts of wicked, evil emperors, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, uh, Domitian came later, uh, but they, they, did, they wanted to have a pure, clean society kind of like the Arians. And so they would kill people who did not fall in line with the, with the Roman idea. And so there was a lot of suffering, a lot of, a lot of trouble, a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of difficulty if you lived during that day. And so Mark is writing this book to say, look, you can do it. We have a savior who also suffered. If he did it, so can you. If he suffered and he made it, he's, you can do this too. Uh, I have a Bible called The Jesus Book. This is uh, in Hawaiian pigeon. This is legit, everybody. This is, this is like, this is the real thing, okay? This is printed, I mean, it's like the whole, this is like, this isn't jo a joke. They use this Bible in, in Hawaii. And as I was, I was looking through Mark at, at some of the stories, and uh, the way that they put it is, them boys going to suffer much. Them boys. Them boys going to suffer much. And they do. We know the disciples end up uh, leading quite a life of, of trouble, turmoil, hardship. But... Jesus didn't come for life to be easy necessarily. He came for us to deal with life as it comes. So one of the, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to the Bible. And so I was looking up the peculiarities of this book. <coughs> and here are some of the things that I discovered. There are, there are more words about what Jesus does than what he says. If you look at the books, if you have a red letter edition Bible, in, in Mark, there are a lot more black letters than there are red letters. So the red letters are the ones that Jesus speaks, and the black letters are the ones where he's doing something or somebody else is speaking. So there's a lot more about what he does rather than what he says. Mark uses a lot of emotive languages, a lot of, a lot of descriptive words to, to make his point. Here's some examples. Uh, like, Jesus sighed deeply. It's very emotional. Another one, like when he's looking at the crowds, is he says he, he, Jesus was moved with compassion. About the disciples, <laughs> he says he marveled at their unbelief. And then speaking to the rich, about the rich young ruler, Mark Christ, and Jesus looking at him, 
loved him. So another thing about the book is Mark uses this word euthus. So the action goes very, very fast. So this word euthus means immediately or like straightway or just then or, or right now. It's used 51 times in the entire New Testament. Mark uses it 41. 41 times. In fact, uh, in my Bible, I, I even circled, I don't know if you can see this, all the places where euthus is used. Just this one page right here, 11 times. Like, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, they took the immediately out of there. Immediately as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he sees heaven torn. Immediate, at once, the Spirit led him out into the desert. So it's, it's, Mark uses this, this word to pro- project the, this idea that the action is happening very, very fast. So Mark uses this idea called the historical present. Now, uh, this might be another level of nerdiness, but, but this is very, very cool. So his verb usage. So 150 times, which is a lot of times in this book, he uses this idea of the historical present. So instead of saying, Jesus came, he says, Jesus comes. Instead of saying, Jesus said, he says, Jesus says. Instead of Jesus healed, it's Jesus heals. Are you guys getting the, the idea? So the, so the picture that Mark paints is, is not that Jesus just did something and he was done, but that he does it and he keeps on doing it. Timothy Keller said, Jesus is not merely a historical figure, but a living reality who addresses us today. Fifth thing, Mark holds up the cost of discipleship, even though the disciples fail. Them boys are going to suffer much. This book is, is, is a book of, of seeing how a servant lives his life and how we are to follow that example. Mark is a missionary book. It's a book about how to live life. It's a book about how to be a minister on this planet. The theme for this year has been come with me. And there is no louder voice in the Bible than this book that says, you want to do life with me? Come with me. Come do it like this. I mean, I love, I love the first two chapters. I love how many times demons recognize Jesus. What are you doing here? What are you, what are you doing here? What? Whoa. Um, and Jesus silences them, right? In fact, he even tells one demon, don't tell anybody about this, which I find fascinating. And then the last thing, Mark emphasizes the last week of Jesus' life, his Passion Week. 38% of the book 
There's 16 chapters and a whole bunch of them are just his last week and all that he did to suffer and what he did for, for you and I. So going back to verse one, kind of the title of the book at the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. So Jesus doesn't just show up in a vacuum. He is talked about for centuries before, right? So Mark opens with the fact that they were looking for Jesus and looking for a forerunner of Jesus. And so then in verse four, it says, so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance. So why is that such a big deal? Why would, this, why would Mark write that in there? Next, yeah, baptizing in the desert. Because baptism was for heathens, friends. The Jews thought they had God cornered. They were the chosen nation. They, God wasn't going to destroy them. The Messiah was going to come through them. So they thought they could just live their life any way they wanted, to a degree. I mean, yeah, there were good Jews that did the right thing. They made the sacrifice. They did all those things. And they understood like daily ceremonial washings where you, where you wash or, or occasionally you might be baptized or, or dipped. But for John to do this, he was telling the whole nation, you are a bunch of scoundrels. You live like heathens and you need to get saved. You need to repent. You need to think differently. You need to metanoia. You need to change your mind. You need to change the way you think. You need to change the way you act and do something completely different. For a standard person, a Gentile, to become a Jew, they had to do three things. They had to confess, they had to get baptized, and they had to offer a sacrifice. They had to, they had to have, have a full immersion in water, and that's what John is doing to people who lived in Judea and Jerusalem, Jews. So John was, he is the bridge to something radical and new that's about to come. And, and he is radical. I mean, hello, a camel, a camel's, uh, right? Camel skin coat, camel hair coat, munching on, on bugs and honey and looks just like his voice was probably thundering and deep, like Justin's is, just blah, you know? Just, just a behemoth of a man, you know? Probably, probably scared the heck out of a lot of people. I mean, really, in reality. So this baptism is a, this is, this is, this is seriously revolutionary what he's doing and what he's saying. But for whatever reason, uh, he's, this is what he is called to. And so, he's, he, so there's, a, there's this move of God going on and people are flocking to it. They're like, I wanna hear more. What is his story? What is happening? Why are all these people captivated by him? And, and he's asking us to, you know, bapto, bapto, that word from bap, for baptism, that, that's like taking a piece of cloth and dunking it in, in dye to change its color. So it's a full, like, you're going down. So wh- why, is he doing, why is he doing this? Verse 
So why in the world does Jesus get baptized? Any thinking person will have trouble with this idea. Is Jesus, what is repentance? Repentance is, saying, repentance is saying, I am not comfortable with the way that I'm living my life. I'm not comfortable with the way that I think. I'm not comfortable with the way that I do things. I'd kind of like to do some things a little bit different. So what is being intimated here about Jesus being baptized? That he sinned? That he needed to change some things about his life? I don't think so. Now, I'm going to go ahead and veer away from Mark for just one minute. It doesn't say here that Jesus sinned or didn't sin in this text. But we know from others that he was a man that lived without sin. There was no need for him to, re- to confess, to repent, to be baptized. He didn't need to say the sinner's prayer. So why in the world would Jesus do this? Well, I think there are some reasons. I think there are some reasons. So let's go through this. For me... Uh, the gospel according to Mark. I think this was a moment of decision for Jesus. So, so up to this point, what do we know about Jesus? He lived in Nazareth. That's it. He lived in Nazareth. So, he decides to take a walk to this river where his cousin is baptizing people. I'm going to share a bias with you about me. I don't believe that Jesus has a God card that he can just pull whenever he wants. I think Jesus was a human, a man, just like us, who had to rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to him. Look, when Jesus was growing up in Nazareth, he didn't have a playbook. He and God and the Holy Spirit, before Jesus came to the planet, said, okay, look, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this and 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 this, and then in this order. And on this year, you're you're gonna go to this river and be baptized. I think at some point, Jesus cognitively had to come to grips with the fact that he was Messiah and that at some point he had to choose when that time was going to start. And Mark believes that this was that point right here. Jesus is minding his own business, being a carpenter, being a stonemason, living in his, ham- in his hometown, comfortable, things were going great, and he chooses right now, to make it happen. A decision had to be made. He was looking for a sign. This was the sign. He was looking for an opportunity. This was the opportunity. Jesus made a decision to go. And for us, we all have moments of decision in our lives, which way we're going to go, how we're going to do things. And sometimes that decision, choosing to take a risk, is our path to success when doing nothing doesn't get us anywhere. I don't 
have this on the screen, but Shakespeare has this awesome quote. It says, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at a flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and in miseries. Would you like me to read that again? There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at a flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and misery. So Jesus decides, there's a decision. I believe this is also a moment of identification. Jesus acknowledges this move of God taking place in the desert. He identifies with it. He gives it. He says, no, this is a good thing. This message that John is speaking is is a good message. He is calling people to repent. He is calling people to change. Jesus knows that it is a radical message because it is paving the way for, for what he is about to bring concerning the kingdom of God and what it means to be a good man or woman of God. His baptism is also a moment of approval. You know, you don't leave home lightly If he grew up in Nazareth and everything was rosy and cool and soft and easy and gentle and peaceful and quiet, he says, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to start what I'm called to this planet to do. In uh, the A&E culture, there was this idea called Beit Kol, the daughter of the voice. And, and so what, what the Jews believed was that there was an, were opportunities for you to hear the voice of God, but it was a quiet one. It was feared. You didn't get it very often, but it was, but it was there. There was no Beit Kol going on here. This voice was loud and clear. The other Gospels, which I'm not supposed to reference because we're only looking at the book of Mark, says, this is my son. Whereas here, he says, you are my son. God is talking directly to Jesus. Sometimes we just need a little approval in life, huh? So this week I had... uh, uh, I had an opportunity to hang out with a young man. He's about 25 years old that I've known his entire life. And we went to a wild blue yonder. We had a beer and some nachos, and we were sitting there talking. And it was funny because probably, you know, 20 years ago, I probably said beers are the devil, and, but here I am now drinking a beer with this kid. And he was, he's lived here all his life. He's grown up in Colorado his entire life. But he's thinking about moving to either Fort Worth or Knoxville, Tennessee. And he was talking about it and sharing some ideas. And he said, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've grown up here. I've, I, want, I want something different and new. 
challenging. And I said, man, you know what? Knoxville would be great. And I didn't even finish the word great. And he said, oh, so you approve? And I was like, Zach, yes, I totally approve. And so he was like, all right. He was like, already like getting the moving truck ready in his mind. And okay, how am I going to do this? Because he can work from anywhere. Dads in the room, speak approval over your sons. Speak approval over your daughters. Let them know they have what it takes. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm pleased with you. So Jesus, can you get your mind around what, what, what? He's in Nazareth for however many years. Okay, today's the day. I'm going. Going to this, going to this river. I'm going to get baptized. Doesn't need to, but does. And all the things that go with this, his decision to start his ministry, what he is identifying with, how he is saying, okay, did I do the right thing? Yes. I am pleased with you. A voice from heaven, loud and clear. It was a moment of equipping. So what happens to Jesus? Something like a bird says, like a dove. Something like a bird comes down and lands on him. The Holy Spirit. Some could say he was baptized in the Holy Spirit at this point. Some say, you know, the Holy Spirit came on him. I think he already knew the Holy Spirit at this point. But I think that this was not only for him, but for the people around. So he's equipped. He's, he's given the tools that he needs to do his job. And what's his job? To serve the world. Every story. I mean, you look at all the, like, the pericope titles here. You know, he drives out an evil spirit. He heals many. Prays in a solitary place. A man with leprosy. Jesus heals a paralytic. The calling of Levi. Question about fast. Lord said, crowds following him. Jesus and Beelzebub. I mean, parables. Jesus' mother. If you go through and you look at them, Every one of them, he is serving people. He's getting underneath them and lifting them up. He's taking care of people. Nowhere in the book does Jesus ever exalting himself. He doesn't lift himself up. He doesn't need to do that. This next thing I'm going to share with you, I cannot believe I get to share with you. Flip in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, verse 7. Revelation chapter 4, verse 7. So this is a picture of heaven. There's a description of Jesus. 
And then there is this description of four living creatures who are the embodiment of who Jesus is. Verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Four creatures. There are four gospels. The lion is kingly. The lion, the king of the beasts, the king of the jungle. The ox serves. Every bit of the ox was used. The ox worked the fields, plowed, did whatever. The ox was a servant. Jesus as a man, his humanity, his, his, uh, his human side, which I resonate with more than any of the other. And then the last one, eagle, his divinity, the highest flying bird there is, close to the heavens. Matthew speaks of Jesus' kingliness. That's the theme of the book. Jesus is king. Mark, Jesus is a servant. He is an ox. Luke is humanity. You see how he loved people. He, he believed in the, he, he took care of the social outcast. No other gospel talks about women more than Jesus' uplifting of women than, than Luke does. His humanity is on display in Luke. And then John is his, his divinity. John was written way later when Gnosticism was starting and there was this idea about Jesus, who he was. You know, was he really a human? Was he really a, a man? Was he really God? Who, you know, what was he? And John sets the record straight. He says, yeah, he was a man, but you know what? He was divine. And I, I looked it up in Greek. It's the same order in Greek as well, but it matches the Gospels perfectly. Mind-blowing, in my opinion. So who is Mark describing Jesus as? A servant. An ox. That just does its work, never complains. You ever hear an ox complain? They don't complain. So what we are trying to what we think we will communicate for the next, I don't know, however, however many weeks it is, is this idea that Jesus is a servant. That what he did on this planet <clears throat> was to come to take care of all of us, to watch over us, to be concerned for us, to encourage us. So, See if, don't read any other gospel while we're doing this, but you're going to get a text every week. All right, read, read Mark 3 and 4, okay? Read 3 and 4, but, that's, but only that. And try and get your mind around being a whatever person living in Rome at that time. And... <clears throat> and somebody's got a copy of Jesus' life story, and you get a chance to read it. Okay, can I get those other verses, please? Because I didn't write them down. 
So Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Look, forget about the foreknew and the predestined stuff, okay? Everyone gets hung up on that. Basically, the big idea is God wanted all of us to be like Jesus. From the beginning of time, look, this is the, this, the first Adam came and messed up. I'm giving you a second Adam to do it again and do it right. Follow the way of that second Adam, Jesus, the son. Hang on, go back. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. If Jesus, if one of his images is that of a servant, then that's, that's what Jesus wants me to be conformed to, a servant. Not complaining, not griping, but sometimes being treated poorly and accepting it. But I was treated terrible. Yeah, well, how are servants treated? Sometimes terrible. Next verse, please. And we all, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. All, we all, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into his likeness. So every day, every day, we have an opportunity to conform to the image of Christ. To live like him, think like him, process like him. Is there one more? Oh, the questions. So, everyone get your Bibles out. I mean, your, t- your phones. And uh, take a picture of this screen, please, everybody. So here's, here's your assignment for this week. Your assignment is to take some time at some point and, and process this a little bit. Okay, Mark introduced us to this idea that Jesus is a servant. And he, in the process of being that servant, had to do it under some very harsh conditions, some very difficult conditions. So how do I, how can I relate to that? So get this out and just, just ruminate on it one day for a little bit. You know, get a piece of paper out and define, write down in your own handwriting <coughs> what it means to be a servant, define it. And then maybe look up Webster, see what Webster says. See how close you are to that. And then just start going through some of these. Okay, since Jesus came to serve, do I conform to that image of service? Do I do that? Do I do some of those things? Do I give selfishly, selflessly? What do I need to do to be more servant-oriented? What do I need to do? I loved it. Last night, Donna, she was walking around. She said, you know, I don't think we should call, be called volunteers anymore. I think we should be called servants. I thought, wow, that's cool. So how can I change to be more others-minded? And that comes from Philippians. 
chapter 2, being others-minded. How can I change to be more others-minded? How can I put myself down, be more humble, to be, to be more like Jesus? And then name some tangible ways that you can become more humble and be more of a servant. They, they say that if you write down your goal, you have a much greater chance of achieving it than if you just think about it. I was told that my grandfather invented the saying, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. <laughs> Richard Leslie Williams originated that. I doubt it. So write it down. Write some of those things down, okay? All right, we have four seconds. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> no? Okay. I'm going to pray. Let you guys go eat tacos or something. You know what? Take the hand of the person beside you, please, if there is somebody beside you. If not, you can just hold your own hand. Father, that is a lot. That is a big intro on what this whole book is about. But it's an intro to the life of the most amazing human being that ever walked on this planet. And Father, we are honored to be in a position where we can think about some of this. You made us to be thinking beings. You told us to love you with all our mind. And so, Lord, I pray that we can wrestle with, with questions and ideas and, and, and that that's okay. And, and, and I think in a lot of ways you, you enjoy that. So, Father, I pray that as we think through this, this particular story, life story about Jesus, that, that we will be changed that there will be a metanoia that takes place in every one of us. But Lord, it has to be deliberate, it has to be intentional. We can't just come here and hear some words and then leave and be exactly the same. We have to take part. We have to make a decision to change because we're commanded, we're encouraged, we're told, conform to the image of Jesus. So Father, I pray an anointing over all of us, Lord, that we would have that. And give us a curiosity, a curiosity to grow. Father, we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray.